Hello, and welcome to the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Tony Heil, the Director of Communications here at the chapter. Uh, If you've listened in the past to other episodes of our podcast, you've heard a wide variety of people who are affected by ALS, whether they're living with it personally, have a family member, are a board member here, a legislator, a sponsor, uh, all sorts of people who are involved with our cause, and we thank them all. Uh, this past week, uh, the week of May 12th, May 13th, May, May 18th, I'm getting my days all messed up, um, we were involved with our second advocacy day of the year. Uh, the first one was in Washington, D.C. last week, and this week we were in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, uh, where we were meeting with legislators to talk to them about uh, continuing to fund ALS patient care in the state of Pennsylvania. And one of the people who was involved uh, it was one of the many people with ALS who come to Harrisburg every year or get involved locally. That's my friend Dale Miller, who's going to be joining us today on our podcast to talk about his experiences um, with advocacy, his experiences with ALS, and his time in the military. Uh, this is probably the only time in my podcasting that I'll be able to say the word Djibouti, so I'll say that as often as I can because that's just fun to say. Um, so before we get into our conversation today, I'd just like to let you know that you can get involved with the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter through one of our events uh, or donating or volunteering or becoming an advocate. Just go to www.alsphiladelphia.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, uh, Vine, a couple other things, all at ALS Philadelphia. And if you have a suggestion for a topic or want to ask some questions for the podcast, email me at tony at alsphiladelphia.org. With that little bit of brief introduction to the show out of the way, Dale, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tony. Well, we've discussed having you on because um, we've done a lot together over the last few years, and I've wanted to share your perspective on our podcast for a while. So if you can uh, let us know about when you were diagnosed with ALS, because that's obviously an important point. I was diagnosed with ALS in uh, May of 2009, so I've been living with it for uh, seven years now. Uh, but you've been living with the official diagnosis for seven years. I've been living with the official diagnosis for seven years, but uh, I, I really felt my first symptom uh, of ALS uh, in uh, Djibouti uh, when I was stationed there with the Marine Corps, as Tony so uh, tactfully put it. Well, thanks. Now we both get to say Djibouti. Yeah, well, there, you know, there's a great trivia question out there, uh, which is, uh, what is the capital of Djibouti? It's Djibouti. It's Djibouti. <laughs> Djibouti, Djibouti. I just know that from a commercial. I know. It's, it's great, isn't it? Uh, but in, when I was uh, in, uh, stationed in Djibouti, in, uh, uh, I got there around Christmas time, 2003, and I was there uh, through most of 2004. And while I was there uh, in 2004, um, I started uh, stumbling, and when I was, I was on a, we had a trail there, and I was walking or running on the trail, and uh, I started stumbling. My right foot just wasn't working right, and uh, I fell at one point and hurt my knee, uh, and I still continued to stumble. And I noticed, uh, oddly enough, that when I tried to put on a pair of flip flops, my right foot wouldn't go into the flip flop. I mm. had a really hard time doing that. The what I found out later is I was uh, exhibit, or I was uh, suffering there from uh, what's called foot drop, and and that means that you can't, your muscles aren't strong enough to lift your foot, and, and therefore, you you catch your foot every time you every time you walk. 
uh, I now have a brace on my on my right uh, right leg that lifts my foot a bit uh, and allows me to walk without stumbling. But in any event, uh, I was uh, uh, exhibiting those uh, first symptoms in 2004, and uh, when I came back from uh, Djibouti, I was stationed in Norfolk, and the doctor. Uh, I went to the doctor because my knee was hurting because I had fallen, mm-hmm. uh, and the doctor uh, said, "Oh, you need a knee operation." And uh, I had a knee operation at Portsmouth Naval Hospital, and I wasn't able to rehabilitate my leg because, as I found out later, my muscles uh, would not uh, get stronger. Uh, when you when you have a knee operation, uh, your muscles tend to shrink because you're not using them, and then you rehab your muscles and they grow as you rehab them, just like lifting weights. Mine wouldn't work, so uh, I thought that was odd, but uh, soon after the knee operation uh, and the failed rehab, I left active duty and uh, became a civilian again and and went home to uh, Ampler, Pennsylvania, uh, and started working with the uh, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, My knee still wouldn't get better, my leg still I was still stumbling, went to another doctor, and, and he said, gee, you need another knee operation, which I had. Uh, because and at this point, it was just that one area. It wasn't like it was anything else. No, it was just my, just my leg, just my foot, uh, and uh, had another knee operation. And again, it, it wouldn't rehab. So I went, to a, uh, I went to a neurologist who gave me a, a test. I forget the name of the test where they stick needles in your, your, your leg, uh, your body. And uh, she said, "Oh, you just you have some nerve damage, but it's uh, uh, it's just because you're getting older." That was incorrect, but that's what I was told. Uh, soon after that, I went to a, uh, a facility uh, to look at, to to have my back examined because uh, they thought it, that it might be my back because my that would affect my leg. Mm-hmm. And I found a doctor who said, "This is not. I can't help you. You need to you need to find somebody who." who uh, knows more about nerves and that sort of thing. So you kept going from doctor to doctor to doctor? Doctor to doctor to doctor. And eventually and finally, found a neurologist that could help you. Uh, I did because my, my daughter-in-law was uh, in uh, uh, Jefferson Medical College at the time and mm-hmm. had just taken a neurology course. And she said, why don't you go see my professor? I mm. did. And he immediately, at Thomas Jefferson, gave me the, the, uh, the, the EMG test and immediately said, I'm sorry, but you have Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, but I want you to get another opinion. Uh, and here's the guy to go to, which was Dr. Leo McCluskey at Penn. I went to Dr. McCluskey, and after you know an exhaustive series of uh, examinations and uh, eliminations of other diseases, uh, I got the final diagnosis of ALS in May of 2009. So I went, I went, you know, about five or six years, four years anyway. Uh, before I got the final diagnosis, which I found out later was not unusual. Yeah, that, and we talk a lot about how your life changes, being diagnosed, and how things, your your body and your everything else, but really, ALS happens months or years often for people. It's Like you said, it's not that uncommon. Uh, it, it's not uncommon to have either a misdiagnosis or a non-diagnosis because it's such a rare disease that the ordinary uh, physician really doesn't understand what's happening, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and nobody's to blame for that. It's just one of those things. It's there's no test for it. It's an elimination disease. You eliminate everything else, and you come up, come up with ALS. Uh, so, it, like I said, it's very common to to have a misdiagnosis, uh, and uh, 
you know, when you finally get it, it's pretty shocking. And uh, I, I was certainly uh, shocked to hear in, in 2009 that I had ALS, but nothing I could do about it. I mean, because at that point, you wouldn't, you ha- your mind hadn't gone there. Some people who have been diagnosed with ALS, they've, they understand some of their symptoms and they're different. They kind of see that in the horizon, but you, you probably weren't thinking of ALS at the time, right? I wasn't thinking of ALS uh, mainly because mine was very slow progressing, and, mm-hmm. and it's still a, a slow progression with me. Uh, so I didn't. The only the only symptom I had really was uh, the foot drop and the fact that my leg was shrinking a bit, and uh, you know, and that sort of thing. Uh, even today, six years later, whatever whatever it is, seven years later. Uh, I still have symptoms. My, my leg is a lot worse, and, and I don't walk very well anymore. Uh, but it's still mainly in my right leg, and uh, I'm getting a little bit of muscle weakness in my in my right hand. But that's about it. Very slow progressing, which, frankly, uh, I, I felt a little guilty about uh, for, for a long time because I met other people who were diagnosed with ALS and then passed away in you know six months or a year. Right. And here I'm still walking around uh, and feeling pretty good uh, years later. Um, you know, that's sort of like uh, what we call in the military survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. Why does why am I surviving and somebody else isn't? But uh, I, I, as I found out through the ALS Association, uh, going to events and meeting other people, it's not that unusual uh, to live uh, a longer period of time than the normal three to five years that they tell you in the initial diagnosis. Right, which is probably, you know, when you hear that, it was probably even scarier knowing that you had symptoms for a while, getting that kind of di- diagnosis. When, when they, Exactly. Uh, when I was told uh, the normal person lives three to five years and I had already had symptoms for three to five years, I thought I better get my will together. And, uh, I, you know, you, you, you think right away that I'm going to die tomorrow and what's going to happen to my, my family. Uh, at that point, I, I was still working and, you know, still paying my house, right? Uh, all those other things uh, that a normal person uh, has to do. Uh, but it's, uh, like I said, it's still slow progression with me, and uh, I just don't worry about it anymore. I, I try to ignore the fact that I have ALS, and if I stumble around and somebody laughs at me, I don't worry about it. It just doesn't bother me anymore. Well, I found that, I'm sure you, you deal with that, but hopefully because there's more awareness of ALS and about other things in general, people are more helpful. Um, and, you know, you said you've come to a lot of events, and as a result of this, are there kind of events going on through the ALS Association, the resource groups, the festival and advocacy, things, those are things we talked about, um, that you find a bit helpful and you're glad to be a part of them? The ALS Association's been great. I, I, I go to as many events as I can, and... Uh, uh, I, I've spoken to groups. I've done the ice bucket challenge a number of times. Even with me. Even with even with you, Tony. Yeah, I know. It, it was it's a cold day when we did that that last one out at Valley Forge. But uh, uh, yeah, and, and not only uh, ha- have I done uh, those things uh, and eaten a lot of chocolate at the uh, at the chocolate, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, is okay. Concert. That's why you like, that's why we that's, go. That's <laughs> great. Uh, but I also go to a, a support group here at the ALS Association once a month which has been terrific. Uh, we have about 10 core people in that group uh, who, who come pretty much every month, and we just discuss our, our symptoms, ourselves, and how we're coping with ALS, and it's a really good uh, good group. 
and we get new people periodically and unfortunately some pass away uh but it's it's been run by an ann cooney who, who's the social worker here she's been absolutely terrific uh and i've gotten a lot out of the group and i know the other people have too so not only uh have i been trying to advocate uh, for for als but uh ALS, the, the the associations also helped me in, in other ways such as the support group and i know with the support groups and we don't want to talk about any individuals there aside from Anne. And you can listen to podcasts with Anne on our um, network as well. You know, you were able to provide some advocacy towards those other people in the group by letting them know this is what's benefited me, this is what you should check out. It's not the same thing as political advocacy, but if someone comes in and they're newly diagnosed or had something, you can you can help them out that way too. Absolutely. And it's been pretty gratifying uh, to be able to do that because – when somebody's first diagnosed, it's it's devastating to them and their family, especially uh, if they've uh, had either a misdiagnosis or a non-diagnosis. And they come to the group, and myself and other people can say to them, look, it's happened to me. Mm-hmm. It's the same deal. Uh, don't worry about it. Let's get on with life. Here's, here's how we do it. And, you know, we have people that say, uh, I can't button my shirt anymore. And then somebody else in the group will say, well, Here's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Here's a little tool that I've found. And we share all those things that uh, are very helpful to people who are, who are trying to cope with the, with the disease. It's just been great. And the ALS Association, uh, you know, provides that. There's really nobody else that does. Uh, and it's worked out fine for me. I'm, I'm real happy with it. Yeah, I think that there's probably a lot of those issues like buttoning your shirt, getting opening a door. Like, I mean, when you look at ALS, you're like, I might need a wheelchair one day or I might need um, speech device maybe, but you don't think about all those other things that might be useful because why would you? Because no one's thinking I'm going to about ALS unless they have a strong familial connection, which most don't. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, they're, they're, the, 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 the smallest things uh, can be very frustrating when, when you have ALS. The, the button uh, issue is, is one thing, but there's other issues. You're t- trying to tie your shoes. Uh, I'm losing... I'm losing muscles in my hand, and sometimes it's hard for me to pull that knot tight. Uh, mm-hmm. Just something you would never think about uh, just becomes frustrating. Pumping gas, for example, you have to you put the the, the uh, gas line into your car, and then you have to pull on the handle. Well, if your muscles are not as strong in your hand, you can't do that. Uh, a simple little thing like that. I'm not in a wheelchair yet, but I'm getting close. And uh, fortunately, the ALS Association and also the the Veterans Administration has been uh, very helpful uh, to me uh, with equipment and, and those other things that the ALS patients need. Yeah, you know, um, it reminds me of my wife. We have two kids. I was just showing those uh, class pictures of them. But, you know, she was pregnant and there were a lot of things that she had to deal with that were frustrating that were just a little bit harder than they were before. But after she's pregnant, they're not as hard anymore. You know, just her body changing or whatever. So it's a lot to adapt to. And then going to resource groups, you're able to help other people adapt to them as well. It's, it's great. I, I, I can't say enough about the, uh, the ALS Association. Uh, uh, you know, just helping people cope with the, uh, uh, the, the depression, actually, that, that, that everybody gets when they're diagnosed with this disease. Uh, it's so difficult to, uh, to cope with it. And, uh, you know, the, the association's been helpful to me. That's all I can say. And, and of course, the, the Veterans Administration... Uh, has been great with uh, uh, with equipment and 
and other things that uh, are necessary, especially uh, disability uh, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, as as you know, Tony, uh, veterans are twice as likely, almost twice as likely, to get ALS as the, the general population, and and uh, ALS is now considered an automatically uh, service-connected disease, uh, and you're automatically 100% disabled, which in the VA system allows you to receive total medical care. Yeah. Um, when you're 100% disabled, you get, if you if you want to use it, you can, you can, you know, physicians, uh, uh, physicals, medicine—it's all free when you're 100% uh, uh, disabled. And I've used it; I've really had great success with the VA. Uh, I use them now as my uh, uh, general physician. Mm-hmm. I get my physicals there. Uh, they've just been super. I had a sleep test there uh, a couple weeks ago uh, because I wasn't sleeping well, and uh, the. Uh, the, the sleep test doctor who is connected with University of Pennsylvania, and we mm-hmm. did a sleep test because uh, I thought I had sleep apnea. I, turns out I don't, which is which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, not only was uh, were, did they treat me very well, but they understood that I had ALS and they they adapted certain things uh, uh, for me with the uh, with the test. And uh, uh, last week I was uh, fitted for a uh, electric scooter by the the VA. And they're going to provide that to me for uh, for free. It, it's it's they've been they've been really good about that. We're, well, we're glad to hear that. It's, um, my grandfather was a veteran that had ALS, um, and you know all the things that you've gone through as a, in a, in your time of service. And and no matter where how anyone served, um, you know, you're, that's the key word there: serving the country and the community. And you know if you want to listen and learn more about what the PVA does, paralyzed veterans. Uh, and the VA, uh, there's a podcast with Violet Graham, you know, um, that you can listen to on our system here. And I know that Dr. Colin Quinn, you know Dr. Quinn? Dr. Quinn uh, is great. I met him uh, about two months ago. I, I, I go to uh, the Penn ALS Clinic, and, and I, I will continue to go there. But uh, another friend of mine who's a veteran uh, went to the, uh, uh, the VA ALS clinic, which has been recently established by Dr. Quinn, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he told me I should go check it out, and I did. Dr. Quinn, it turns out, is also affiliated with Penn, is friends with Dr. McCloskey. They know each other, uh, and Dr. Quinn, who's a pretty young guy, uh, has started this ALS clinic at the Veterans Administration Hospital in Philadelphia, and it's terrific. Uh, you, it, He's really great. So I'm going to continue to go there and also to Penn um, because they're both great. It, it's nice to know that there's a that there's a connection to the VA and they understand the disease and they're understanding it better and better all the time from my understanding. Like, oh, yeah. I, I mean, 10 when years ago. When you were first ago, diagnosed, they would not have known it. No. 10 years ago, the, the Veterans Administration didn't know anything about ALS. They, they really didn't. Right. And now uh, they do you. They do. And, and Dr. Quinn in Philadelphia, he's, he's been super. I, I can't say enough about him. Uh, and they've been very responsive. If you ask them to do something, I, they're right on it. Um, and I know there's been a lot of uh, things in the news recently about the VA and how they're not uh, responsive to people, but I have nothing but positive things to say about them and about the uh, ALS Association and about... Well, we know, we know that um, there's a lot of... Uh, pe- things are run by human beings, and the human beings that are running the VA around here and helping out veterans with ALS clearly doing a good job. Now, we mentioned that 
since we're talking about the VA, I want to get into the military aspect here. And I know when you're talking about coming to um, to do advocacy and when we're, you're talking about helping other people, do you think that your military background helps because there's a lot of camaraderie there? You've been around the world. We talked about you being in Djibouti. You've been in Bosnia. Um, I'm, I'm going to make up things and say that you, you know, destroyed the Red Skull, who was the Captain America's key villain. I, you've done a lot of, I had a very extensive career in the military. So do you think that helped you to help others? I, I, well, I, I think so. I mean, I, you know, I was in the Marine Corps and, uh, I, yeah, I, was, I wasn't in Bosnia, but I was in Kosovo. I did a, well, that's uh, close to me. That's it is close, actually. It's the Balkans. <laughs> and, you know, if you've ever been to the Balkans, it's pretty much the same. Uh, but yeah, I did a tour in Kosovo. I did Djibouti. I was stationed in, in Kenya, at, in Nairobi, at the uh, at the embassy there, and we did work up near the Somali border. That's a lot of dangerous stuff. Uh, yeah, there was some sketchy times. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I was there. I did it. It was great. And, uh, uh you know, I had a nice time, but also, uh, you know, I was an officer. I retired as a colonel, actually. Uh, you, as an officer in, in, the, in the Marine Corps, uh, I don't know about the Army, but it's it can be it's pretty much the same. You go through a lot of leadership schools and uh, uh, other forms of education that really teach you how to how to think, how to speak, uh, how to interact with groups, uh, and how to lead people, actually. Uh, so now, if I'm asked to speak to a group of people, as I did last year in Harrisburg, uh, that's not a problem with me. I'm also an attorney, so that you know, I like to talk. But uh, uh, the military experience has has helped me in many ways. But one of them is definitely uh, advocacy, meeting with other people. Uh, I, I I've led other people. I've been in command, and and. Uh, it's very helpful to me. Uh, I learned a lot. I know when you're going to advocacy, we had some new people this week who were great. I always love when new people come, but it can be a frightening experience to have to share your personal story and to talk to people in power or to speak at a press conference as you did. But you've gone through so many other scarier things in life that this, this kind of stuff must come easy. It's never easy, but it's easier. I will, I will, I will say that. But yeah, I, I, look, I'm not... I'm not. I'm not a hero. I, I just, you know. Well, I'm a, after serve. everything you said, I'm going to put you in the Avengers. I just saw the Civil War <laughs> movie last week. They were in most of the places you were. So that, that's funny. Since since I'm in the military, I, I've been uh, since I retired uh, from the, the Commonwealth, I've been doing some genealogy research, and I'm finding out that uh, my ancestors uh, were in the military. Also, my my great great grandfather was a veteran of the War of 1812 in Ohio. He served on the Ohio frontier. He had 12 children. Three of his sons were Civil War veterans. One was killed at the Battle of Kennesaw Mountain. One was my great-grandfather who survived. So I have that military background. My great-grandfather, my other great-grandfather on my mother's side, emigrated from Germany after the Franco-Prussian War, where he was... uh, a non-commissioned officer in the Prussian army. Wow. I, I mean, I'm finding out all kind of things uh, about uh, my family. that uh, tells me that, uh, you know, the average American uh, serves his country, I think, and I'm just an average guy. Well, you have a pretty incredible story. You need to write a book. Because <laughs> every time we talk or I do an email with you, I end up learning a lot that I wouldn't have expected. Um, so you, 
we'll get to the advocacy then. You came to Harrisburg this year. You came last year. Um, you've done some other things locally with meeting with lawmakers. And you have a background from working in the government, so you understand the legislature. I, I do. I, I worked for the uh, the Gaming Control Board in Pennsylvania for, uh, for 10 years, and uh, I commuted to Harrisburg for three years, so I'm pretty familiar with what goes on up there and what doesn't go on up there. Good, because uh, I've been there for years and I get lost a lot. It's, Ryan yeah. building the Irvis, the this and that. It's, it's really weird. Uh, the, the, the state capitol, it, it's several different buildings all connected at different times. So they're, you know, you go, to, you go from one building, you have to step up to get into the other building, and you get lost. Uh, I, I get lost even, even today, uh, having been to the Capitol a number of times. But, yeah. but yeah, I know a lot of people up there. Um, I, I don't know if it's always helpful, but... Uh, oh, it's uh, helpful. Yeah, I mean, I, I know how to get around. I, yeah. I, I know people, I have a lot of friends, I know people I can call, and uh, I just don't have a fear of crowds or talking to people. And that's things I learned as a lawyer and as as a Marine. Well, last year you spoke um, at a press conference, introduced our state senator um, Stuart Greenleaf, who we uh, honored yes. um, this year. And you've met with a lot of people, including um, Representative Mary Jo Daly, who I saw you met with. I oh, Mary Jo, she's great. Love, uh, love so, her. and she has a friend who has a a lot of them. You find yes. out have a connection. Yes. Um, so, what's your experience been? in terms of how people have received your story or understand ALS in your time of meeting with these legislators? Uh, it's been very positive. Uh, now, I can't say what happens once the legislators uh, go to vote on things, but the reception has been very positive uh, to us, not just sympathetic to uh, the cause and to, the, to the, uh, the folks that have ALS, but genuinely wanting to help. Mm -hmm. And when we tell them how much money we're asking for, frankly, most of them say, wow, is that all? Because, mm -hmm. you know, they get lobbyists. I, I know Harrisburg. They get lobbyists coming in every day asking for millions and millions of dollars. Uh, and we're not asking for, for money on that level. We're just asking for enough to keep us, keep us going. Mm -hmm. And they're happy to give it to us. I, I, I haven't... Uh, in any situations where the legislators uh, refused to meet with us or were unsympathetic, uh, very, very positive. And I think they, uh, at least in the years that I'm, uh, I've been uh, in Harrisburg, the the, uh, the understanding of ALS has grown greatly. And I think a lot of it's with the ice bucket challenge right. uh, that came up. But but also, um, I don't know if more people are getting ALS, but certainly. The people that are getting it are in the news more, and mm -hmm. it, it's it, it's possibly be, because of the football players that that have ALS, uh, like Steve Gleason, yeah, and Kevin drama. Turner, who passed away recently and played for the absolutely. Eagles. Absolutely, and I think that has brought uh, awareness to uh, uh, to people who didn't know what ALS was ten years ago. Well, and then Harrisburg, we have a friend Brian Cutler who lost both of his parents to ALS, which I found amazing. I that that is just. Uh, a, such a tragedy and, and uh, you know it's so unusual but uh, it's awful and some of the uh, 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 several of the legislators that we met with mentioned that mm -hmm. uh, and uh, how, that that brought uh, ALS to a, a very personal level to them yeah uh, and uh, I I don't think we met anybody that said hey get out of here they they were, they were very happy to see us it, it helps that there's not like 
an advocacy group against us, right? There's not <laughs> there's not a pro ALS group out there. There's not a group that's saying you need to not help those people. Well, we're not asking them to raise taxes, either. right? That's that's the thing. I mean, if they want to, that's, if it helps us, but um, yeah, it's not like we're a, a gun group or social group on this end or that. You know, something where there's multiple sides clashing. Um, yeah, we're not like uh, like the usual lobbyist who calls them eight times a day, right? Uh, and, and pesters them until they just can't take it anymore. Right. I mean, we're we're uh, we're pretty professional about what we do, and I think they appreciate that. Yeah, and I, I've I've met a number of people who remember us year after year. Uh, remember people like you, like oh, I met Dale, um, or I met um, Paul, or I met Karen. So that makes a big difference. Um, and so we appreciate everyone that gets involved in advocacy. Um, you can email me if you want to add your own story because those personal stories, like Dale's, make a big difference. People remember them, and lawmakers or sponsors or whatever, they end up helping out. It's great. I, I don't know uh, if most people uh, are, are social uh, and, and and enjoy groups and talking to people, but being an advocate uh, is it's. It's fun. I mean, it just is. You, you meet uh, all, all kind of people that you would never uh, meet on a uh, uh, an everyday basis. It's just, I don't know, it's been wonderful to me. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, with ALS, it's one of those things where there's not a Republican side and a Democratic side. They all know each other. Like you were saying, they, they all know Brian's story. It doesn't matter. It crosses all sort of boundaries. Which is good. Yeah, um, even the Republicans were willing to give us money, which was shocking to me. As, <laughs> well, they as better a, because Brian, Brian, you know. Brian Cutler is the Republican whip. And right, so they, right, right, um, right. Um, and we honored Representative Adolph, the Republican uh, chair of the Appropriations Committee, who's been such a strong ally for us for, for many years, bringing this up on his own. Um, now, one other person, one other group that's I'd like to end here with that crosses boundaries that helps the cause of ALS that you know is the Philadelphia Phillies. You've gotten to go to the Phillies Festival. Big fan. And you were Big a fan, fan of the Phillies anyway. So um, did you know about the Phillies connection um, when you were diagnosed? Yes. Uh, I, the, the, the Phillies uh, connection with ALS has been longstanding. And, uh, it's uh, been 32 years this year. Has it been that long? Yeah. It, well, it's, it's almost as old as me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, it's been I've known about it uh, for, for a long time, but because of the Lou Gehrig thing, and, mm -hmm. and uh, because they do a great job of putting it in front of the public. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, but la last year was the first year that I'd been to the festival, uh, and it was great. I mean the 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 Phillies players, uh, the Phillies executives uh, have been wonderful in uh, raising money. And uh, being willing to give their time for the cause, uh, my my wife went with me, and she's a, she's a big fan of the uh, uh, the sports talk shows. Okay. Or not. So when, when we I was were nervous there, about what she was gonna you're gonna say. No, there. no, no. She's she we, she listens. I, I don't know why, but she got she got hooked on that. So when we uh, went last year, she got to meet Michael Barkan, mm -hmm. who's a terrific guy, and she never seen him. You know, just listened uh -huh. to him on the radio and. He couldn't have been more gracious. He is, uh, he is a super person. He he really was. He really is. Uh -huh. And uh, all the players were great. Uh, and and the, the the Phillies just they have that festival every year and they pack them in. It, yeah. It's it's terrific. So yeah, I knew about it before I had ALS, uh, but I appreciate it even more uh, now that I've uh, uh, I've been diagnosed. And you see them that like you said, it's the executives, the players, the people who are working at the table. 
like it's a genuine thing throughout the whole organization, which is from so rare to, to get anywhere. From top to bottom, and and uh, you know the secretaries, the uh, the guy that takes out the trash, everybody uh, volunteers. I think they volunteer. They, mm-hmm, and, they do the game, yeah. And and uh, when you see them, they're happy to do it. I, I, you know, you don't meet anybody there at the Phillies Festival that looks like they were forced into it. They're all happy to be there. It's it's it, it's amazing to me that they could uh, uh, that 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 they're able to project that image. Yeah. Uh, and and it's not even an image anymore. They just like to do it. And, yeah. I think that it's, it's. I think the coolest thing for me is because I've seen them for years. Uh, I've met some of the players and executive, but knowing that the the whole staff, the game day staff, is so top invested, to bottom, it's top really, to bottom. It, it's it's just, yeah, it's it's really wonderful to see. Um, and this year, I mean, it, I've I've been here at the chapter for five years now, and you know, seasons go up and down, but this has been a fun year. You oh, don't want to miss the festival am, this year. But I, I have to, unfortunately. Now, no. I'm just, I mean, in general, if you're listening to this, uh, if you can get yeah. to the festival. We're going to be in California. My wife and I are going on vacation, but I wish I could be here. I, I Tony's right. It, it is a, it, it's spectacular, especially when they're winning. Boy, I'd, I'd love to be there to meet all these young players that are, that are doing so well. It's just there's, as, as of the time of this recording, there is only one team that had more wins in the Phillies this year. Who would have guessed that back in February? It's it's amazing. The Nationals are, are really hot right now, but but they won't be. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm every day, every time the Phillies win, uh, it, it's not a surprise anymore. And, and I was listening, like, um, actually, we were on our way back from Advocacy Day on Wednesday. That's when they got the tie for first place. I was listening the to the game so, too. Yeah. I was like, Following it on Twitter, it's like what they're they're gonna win the court, and it's yeah right. It's not a surprise. Not that I want to be surprised by one like that, but yeah, uh, they're they're so much fun to watch. Um, you can you can visit our website alsphiladelphia.org. Um, there's a link on this page for tickets. Um, but there's gonna be a lot of people at the festival this year. You don't want to miss out. You get to meet the players. You get to get autographs. You can throw balls in the bullpen. Um, oh, you're making me feel terrible that I can't be here this year. Maybe I can catch it on on uh, on a podcast or something. Well, we'll have pictures and video. That'll be <laughs> not that I don't love doing the podcast, but the pictures and video are going to be more exciting than the. Uh, it's it's a fantastic time, and I think it costs what twenty dollars uh, to to get in, and yeah, it's not it's a it's a low cost it thirty dollars, and then you can spend extra dollars for other things. But there's a silent auction, right? Oh, With amazing great. items. I mean, obviously, because the Phillies are doing it, but you're not asking. It's not like not like it's just baseball cards, which is fine, but they got jerseys from all sorts of teams. You got bats, game used things. Um, so this is last year. They one of the had best a, years ago. They had a baseball autographed by Johnny Unitas, the, mm-hmm. the football player. And I grew up in Pittsburgh, and, and oh, so uh, did I. Did that's right. That's right. I forget what you were well, talking about. Well, I I grew up in Mount Washington, and Johnny, right. Johnny Unitas went to. Uh, he lived about three blocks from from. My house. Did he go to Central Catholic. He went to St. Justin High School. Oh. And, uh, he went to St. Justin in, in Mount Washington. Actually, it was Dan Marino that went to Central Catholic. Marino went to Central Catholic. But I wanted that baseball uh-huh. because it, I mean, who sees a baseball signed by a football player? Right. right? But uh, as I found out that with the silent auction, you have to be the last person there right as they close to mm-hmm. get that baseball. But I thought nobody would bid on it. But yeah, I lost out. But that's the kind of item. Uh, unusual item that, that you'll see there, as well as bats signed by Ryan Howard and and, and all the other guys. And oh, it's just it's a wonderful time and uh, a, a wonderful place to to uh, uh, meet players, uh, spend a few bucks, uh, and uh, have a great time. Well, 
like he's like Dale said, it's a terrific event. He's not going to be there, so there's at least one spot left, right, to go exactly. this year. So, uh, and all your money goes to uh, ALS, right? They, the team has raised over sixteen million dollars uh, for the fight against ALS since 1984. We couldn't be prouder to be partners with them. Uh, so, if you want to become an advocate, if you want to donate, get involved with an event. Uh, or attend the festival, go to our website, alsphiladelphia.org. Follow us on social media, at ALS Philadelphia. Uh, thanks, Dale, for all you've done and for sharing your story on our podcast. Hey, it was my pleasure, Tony. I, I appreciate you having me. All right. And again, for everyone, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and make sure more people are aware of our stories. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>